Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and our first uh, after show for Andor. And we'll be taking a look at the first couple episodes here, as many we, as many as we have time for today. Uh, so probably the first two, maybe we'll hit the third one. We'll see. Uh, but we have a very special guest, Kirk from Orbit Key, joining us on the show, as well as uh, your very faithful co-host, Blake. And uh, we're going to get into the, the nitty-gritty, the breakdown, and uh, full spoilers ahead. For any of you guys who haven't seen the uh, the Andor premiere so far, I don't know what you're listening to us for. Get get watch. <laughs> Let's get into it. Another happy landing. runnery kind of intro there to the main title theme yeah that's a good point it was very blade runner actually i noticed that throughout the first three episodes like with everything being gritty and then like you know the storms and the lights and everything it felt very blade runner yeah. like the serious tone as well yeah yeah i know kirk you you love blade runner ah uh, i love it and it felt like i was in a whole new galaxy no pun intended but it, it was gritty it was dark i was enjoying the hell out of it yeah oh man <laughs> it's uh it's it's off to a very interesting start um you know i've i've already heard the odd person say it's either not for them or it's very slow and then there's other people just raving out you know about it like it's just, it just seems to be kind of the the natural uh, the Sounds natural like the, response to any yeah. Star Wars show. Any Star Wars, yeah, there's always two <laughs> extremes. Right. <laughs> there's never a lot of people in the middle. Well, at least those people don't say anything. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but, you know, here we are, and uh, we're, we're three episodes in, uh, three-episode launch, which was the most we've ever seen. In fact, this is the longest Star Wars show uh, that's ever kind of debuted with uh, live action, that is, with, with 12 episodes to the first season. So we're going to be, uh, you know, watching that every every Wednesday and uh, talking about it every week. And uh, it's going to be fun. But um, Kirk, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little bit since we've uh, a little hot minute since we had you on. And uh, I mean, uh, would you would you be able to just kind of like explain to, to our audience just like what new stuff that has come out since we last talked to you? I mean, 
Uh, I see this lovely, amazing desk mat in front of me right now. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's been a while since I was last on. I think it was just towards the end of the Kenobi show. So obviously yeah. a lot of awesome Star Wars stuff has happened uh, since then with all the new announcements and uh, obviously with Andor starting now. But I guess since back then, we we just had the first four of our key organizers that were uh, reminiscent of a few different Star Wars characters. That was a Grogu, Mando, uh, Palpatine and Boba Fett. And then since then, we dropped another couple key organizers inspired by Kenobi and Vader. Uh, which are personally my two favorites because I love the show and obviously the characters too. And then just shortly after that following um, on on your desk, uh, Josh, as well as uh, a lot of our desks around the world, we released the uh, Star Wars desk mats, which were inspired by Kenobi and Vader. So yeah, like it was a really great time for Orbit Key. Everyone is a massive fan of uh, Star Wars here. So it was really amazing to... Uh, uh, design these desk mats and and bring a few different things into the home as well that were Star Wars inspired. So yeah, feel free to check them out on orbitkey.com, especially if you're a Darth Vader or Obi Wan Kenobi fan, because uh, that's what those new desk mats are inspired by. Oh, awesome! Yeah, and uh, you know I've got the Vader one sitting in front of me right now. It's it's fantastic. It's it's got the document stowaway underneath. It's got the little groove. Yeah, for... that's the part that caught my eye was like the stowaway part. Yeah, like, yeah. Often you see like. It's almost like a hidden vault inside the mat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you like it. I mean, when when because the desk mat is designed based off our original desk mat, and we like to do things a little bit differently and not just make kind of like a single bit of plane of material that kind of sits on your desk. We wanted to put in a few more different built-in organization features and stuff like the the magnetic toolbar on the top and obviously add in a few Star Wars touches. I think we've got the Jedi logo on the Kenobi desk mat and then there's the uh, Imperial logo in the bottom right on uh, the Darth Vader one as well as a little quote on the inside of the desk mat for each of them when you pull up the the top layer too. So yeah, I'm personally, I'm quite a messy person and I'd like to put in all of my papers and stuff underneath and just because it's Star Wars, it I, I'm a little bit biased, but I have to say it makes it just a tad bit better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's a great. So I, right now on my desk, I don't have any papers, but I've already used it to put in that little character card that they all come with. They always come with this really cool that and the key keychain uh, organizer. Like they they come with the character card with the write out on the back. And you said last time that you have a hand in making those write ups, right? Yeah, yeah, I had the awesome opportunity to um to to write all the descriptions of the characters for each of them. So all six characters, uh, the, obviously the first four I included, and and Vader and and Kenobi. And it was a oh, I really enjoyed doing it, and it was also a bit of a daunting task too because I wanted to make sure I got nothing wrong because those characters have so oh, much legacy behind them. Yeah. and uh, there yeah. was a, a little a little bit of pressure, but I think it all worked out really well, and and everyone's been loving them so far, and. I love seeing people kind of transform their desk setups and put a bit of Star Wars flavor uh, into them too. That's what I'm passionate oh, about. Man. So, yeah. Yeah, you should see Josh's setup now. I saw it yesterday when we watched the uh, the launch for Andor, and he's got he's got it was like two foot tall Anakin with a light up lightsaber over top of like the <laughs> Darth Vader desk mat and everything. Everything's all light up, even his headphones and everything light up now. <laughs> like the fanciest. It looks like something that some like an advertiser would have on YouTube. It's, uh, <laughs> well, it certainly added a, a nice Star Wars touch to the room. So, uh, you know, I can thank you for that. And, uh, you know, Blake's got the Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, they, they yeah, look they right. look amazing. Uh, awesome. Yeah, materials. I, admit, I, ch- I chuckle. 
I chuckle every time I lift up the the corner for like the hidden space, and you just read nice. the the hello there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every time I just I can hear Obi Wan's voice in my head. Every hello time there. I look at that corner. Here's your bank yeah, exactly. statements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's hiding <laughs> under the corner. <laughs> I mean, every every time I answer a phone call now or I jump on like into a meeting, that's exactly how I open up yeah. <laughs> my, my sentence. I, I was so happy to, to put that in there. So I'm, I'm glad you are too. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't think of anything else I'd want in there as far as Obi-Wan quotes. <laughs> well, uh, Darth Vader's quote sums up uh, this product pretty well. Impressive, most impressive. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, let's, uh, let's segue here into Andor. I mean, initial impressions how, how do you guys like the first episode here i absolutely loved it like i'm as i said before i'm a massive blade runner fan so i loved yeah. how deep and gritty it is and i think star wars is like a, a space opera and the big galaxy and everything we've seen kind of the glossy side of the last 40 years of like the what the big characters do so it's really nice to kind of jump into the deep nitty-gritty stuff of star wars and obviously it's not beautiful like a lot of not, not everyone lives in the in the jedi temple and all that so i was really enjoying it so far yeah that's a that's a great way to put it because uh other than i feel like other than some of the grittier moments in some movies uh like uh solo like, we, we say, Solo, we saw a bit more Tatooine, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, other than Tatooine. And, you know, I I feel like kind of the grittiest we normally get is like the underbelly of a cantina or something like that. But yeah, um, or like maybe like the lower levels of Coruscant. Yeah, yeah. And and Solo, I really loved the beginning of that movie on Corellia. Like, I just, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of, I know, I know there's a lot of people out there that kind of wanted different things from that film, but uh, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. I was like, wow, I, we get to see Corellia. The speeder chase was awesome. It's the only Lego set in recent history that I've bought from Star Wars, <laughs> other than the Pod Racer <laughs> release. And, uh, you know, I was just like, man, I, I just love all this. Like the, like the, 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 the ocean, the cranes, you know, the yeah. shipbuilding, you know, it was just a really kind of cool to see an environment that just kind of resembled the port, I guess, you know, like, uh, you know, we right. live, we live in a city in which there's a lot of like import export, you know, there's a ports, cranes, you know, shipping boxes, whatever stuff being built. And, uh, it's like, yeah, it just kind of has this familiarity to it and this realism, like this grittiness to it. And mm -hmm. Andor was kind of like giving us like a new lens on that, I guess. And, uh, you know, well, the it's funny. Like, I feel like a lot of the issue people had with the, the solo movie is they, I feel like they wanted it to be more like this. Mm. It was like a lot more of yeah, a serious true. tone. And yeah. to be honest with the opening shots, I thought it was Corellia until they had the title card come up. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And, you know, thankfully, uh, Rogue One kind of set something in motion with the uh, the the name of the the place uh, that mm. flashes up on screen, uh, which uh, is kind of the first thing that I want to talk about, which... Um, you know, we open up uh, episode one. It's called uh, Casa, which is, uh, I guess, the uh, native tongue uh, name for Cassian. Uh, Cassian must be his kind of basic translated uh, mm -hmm. version of his name. And uh, we open up on Morlana One, which is a pre-ox Morlana corporate zone. And it actually uses That's very uh, imperial. I'm going to actually kind of break this down because uh, I was kind of like, "Whoa, that's a lot of stuff." Um, and um, we also got like a date, uh, BBY. Now I want to talk yeah. about this. I have a small rant about this because BBY <laughs> has always, forever been an outside exterior way 
for fans to describe time. You know, so the events of Star Wars that take place, they use a different method of tracking time within that within that universe, because prior to Battle of Yavin, uh, which is what BBY stands for, uh, you know, how did they track time? Right. Like like there was just there was a different mechanism for the characters in that lore to know what year it is. So um, as fans, because Star Wars began for a lot of us for with A New Hope with 1977, that's the event, you know, that's. Battle of Yavin. Then came the prequels. So it's like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll refer to that as before Battle of Yavin kind of thing. So it kind of became this thing that authors began to use to describe when their story takes place in the chronology of this giant, yeah. ever-expanding universe. And, and it's just a lot kind of, of the books a thing. would have a chart, right? Yeah. They'd have a chart of like how many BBY before or after that this book yeah. takes place. Yeah, they'll have a timeline or something like that. So my small beef about this is Pablo made a huge stink about it a couple of years ago. I was like, <laughs> nope, that's not how they track time in universe. It's, it, you know, it's, it's not supposed to make sense. The characters in that world, it's only for us kind of thing. And they yeah, actually it, use it would only make sense in the context of we're looking back in time at something. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just thought to myself, okay, this is 100%. I'm okay with it, but it's just 100% fan servicing because it's the first time ever that we've seen it Mm -hmm. in a movie or in a show. And BBY, it's like, yeah, that's the way that the fans use to describe when these stories take place. Okay, now it's very evident to me this story (laughs) takes place five years before A New Hope takes place. Cool. All right. You know, that's... There was no need for dialogue to describe when it takes place. There was no need for anything else. Mm. It's like, all right, just put it on the screen. All right, everyone knows kind of thing, right? Yeah. I, I guess for the characters, obviously, like, it's impossible for them to know that 5 BBY is a thing because they don't know when, obviously, the Battle of Yavin, like, occurs. Yeah. But for me, it's almost like, and and kind of tying in with how gritty the nature of this, this show is, it almost kind of feels like I'm watching a, a real-life documentary of past yeah. events. Like that's what it kind of oh, yeah. kind of feels like almost yeah, and that's that's why like I'm really enjoying it so far as well. But I like obviously I think it is a big fan service thing too that putting the the title up there, and I was a little bit surprised when I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For I sure. think they just didn't know what else to do, especially now that the shows are jumping all over the place. They can they need something to say when it is. How many sure. people watch Mandalorian and thought that? It was a prequel to the prequels because it's actually Yoda. A a lot of overly (laughs) casual viewers did think that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But no, I totally get it. Uh, You know, know, if if they didn't do it, though, someone would have to drop the line of like, oh, it's been 15 years since the end of the Clone Wars or like something like that. Right. And then it's like, oh, that kind of feels a little forced. But, uh, you know, I'm fine with this. I'm fine with this initiative of just pasting the year up there just for the sake of this show specifically, we're dealing with a ton of flashbacks, like all the time. There's just flashback, yeah. flashback, flashback, kind of filling us in on Andor's or Cassa's mm-hmm. uh, young kind of growing up years on his home world and how he was kind of taken off. We're going to get into all that stuff. But um, yeah, it was, it was kind of just worth bringing that up at some point. Corporate yeah. sector. Um, so <laughs> Preox, Morlana, corporate zone may or may not be part of corporate sector. Uh, corporate sector is this thing that's shown up in Star Wars before. It's uh, um, essentially um, uh, it's a sector located in like the outer rim and it's governed by an independent corporate sector authority. And so it's like not run by any particular faction, um, but it does have kind of loose ties to whoever is kind of in charge of the galaxy. Most recently, we uh, had a bit of a cameo uh, from 
this corporate sector authority in the um, Shadows of the Sith novel that we just finished reading. Um, and uh, it was uh, mentioned that, um, what's his name, Pride, Governor Pride or uh, Grand Moff Pride or something used to work for, for that division. Um, it, mm -hmm. I got confused when I was, I was trying to figure out whether or not that this Preox Morlana corporate zone is a system that kind of falls under the jurisdiction of this corporate sector, right? So I kind of did some research, and it doesn't. So uh, the Preox Morlana, also known as uh, Pre-More Authority, like the, the governing kind of guard, um, uh, the authority people that we keep on seeing throughout the show, it's like a corporate government based on a planet, which is Morlana 1, and uh, it's, it, it governs a, a sector of space called the free trade sector. Um, this includes Morlana 4 and Ferrix. Um, and uh, Morlana 1 is, is essentially like a worker's town. So um, if anyone knows what a worker's town is, uh, it's basically a town with shops, homes, everything else. Everyone in the town kind of works the same sort of job in the same sort of industry. And they kind of all just live together and coexist together in one spot. So that's essentially what this planet is. So um, they're not really part of the Empire, but throughout the whole show, as we see these guys in the blue suits show up, they're basically like a private division working as kind of like a police force for this uh, this this kind of uh, business, I yeah. guess, that, that controls. That's, that's what work. it seemed like to me, is they were like the yeah. local police for that like sector. Yeah. And then they were... So they they'd be like the planet side police, but obviously the government would be all connected to the to the empire. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's why uh, the show kind of kicks off with the superior of this division uh, or the security division of that of that um, company of the corporate zone uh, goes off to an imperial. Uh, what was it called again? Uh, an an imperial uh, regency security meeting or something like that. Uh, where he um, has to kind of disclose how crime is on their planets and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, really I just like that scene. By the way, yeah, yeah, it was a good, it was a good scene. Yeah, it was a really good scene. Where it just shows the like the bureaucracy. You're like they don't care. They just want they just want their numbers to look good, even yeah. if it's not accurate, just so that they look like they're doing better than they are. Yeah, they don't actually yeah. care. <laughs> yeah, it, it it introduced one of my favorite characters of the show so far. I think is his name Cyril, the uh, the the security guard or the the, 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 the deputy that takes over. Yeah, the deputy. Yeah, yeah the deputy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really fascinating. Like the, I guess the dichotomy between those two characters. Um, yeah, and yeah, and like the, what the else new, happens later on? New young blood who's just excited to get in there and wants to do a really good job and clean up the town. And then the old guy who's seen it all and just doesn't care anymore and just wants to collect his paycheck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the old guy, his name's Stoic. He's like the high command guy at the corporate sector. He wants to basically cover up the murder that Andor committed on, uh, on the system, uh, which he murders two guards who held my gunpoint for the shakedown, you know, trying to... I don't know. They were fooling around and they ended, they ended up dead. One of them ended up dead and he ends up shooting the other one in the face. That was a moment that um, I really don't want to skip over because he just straight up shoots someone in the face, you know, to just get out of trouble, of course. But uh, it reminded me a lot of when he executes that rebel spy that he's working with mm -hmm. at the beginning of Rogue One. And I just thought to myself, like, man, like, you know, this guy's been through some stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, he's just, yeah. like, he's damaged. He's like, um, and uh, I don't know, he's just kind of doing what he can to survive. But, uh, you know, it's really taking a toll on his character. 
Yeah, it was interesting, though, just because that was the polar opposite of what we had speculated would happen. Because mm-hmm. we thought he was going to join, you know, join the rebellion and whatever, be pretty like uh, lighthearted and want to really you know put it to the bad guys and then slowly become this dark character that we see in Rogue One. But yeah. instead, we're seeing he was just always like this. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, when, go ahead, Kurt. And when he shot, the, yeah, and when, when he shot the guy, like, although although he shot him, when I was watching, I was like, I feel like he probably hasn't done this for the first time. This it looks like he's he's done it before as well, and he didn't want to do it in the past. Yeah. So that just like for, for me just shows how much of a uh, I guess a survivor and a not so uh, goody rebel uh, Andor is. Not like we didn't know that after watching the first opening scene in in Rogue One, but yeah, it was really really fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, in in Rogue One, uh, he has a very, uh, uh, I guess, uh, like a moment where we kind of see him for real, and he says to Jin that he's been in this fight since he was what is it? What is he six years old or something? Mm. And yeah, uh, yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, and I just thought to myself, like, wow, okay, well, he he's been. I mean, the, it might not have been the Empire that whole time, but uh, he's been doing he's been doing something like for, for all that time. And, and it's kind of interesting that all these flashbacks are kind of beginning to tell that story from the moment that he's taken into that life, right? Like into the war, uh, whatever his war may be, uh, whatever he considers the fight, right? Uh, whether it be for survival or for a particular faction or whatever, he never really specifies what the fight is. Um, but, uh, you know, ever since getting wrapped up in the rebellion, he's kind of just that, that fight that he's been going through has just kind of persisted. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of like where they take that character and, and all the, uh, all the different plot points that they have set out for his, his younger, younger years, I guess. Um, mm. yeah. Uh, we're introduced to uh, a couple friends of Andor's, uh, one of which is uh, oh, a droid named B2EMO. Uh, he speaks like a protocol droid, uh, but a bit more robotically. And he's actually voiced uh, and, uh, well, played, I guess, by Dave Chapman, who uh, who is a puppeteer and actor who also played BB-8 in the sequels. So it was kind of a nice cameo, I guess, to bring uh, a notable actor back to play another droid. Um, but yeah. what, what did you guys think cool of droid? Yeah. what did you guys think of B as is like his nickname? Yeah. I think he's a cool trash can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see, uh, a droid that is kind of like reminiscent of like an R2 unit, but it's not just another R2 unit. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing like this kind of junky box thing that's, is very quite cowardly. I would say, but I, the just the uh, the construction of it, where he can kind of like almost bend like an accordion, I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I feel like his personality was almost a blend of R two and C three PO, like being able yeah. to to talk <laughs> and and obviously being able to beep like R two. I, I I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, I I thought he was pretty cool. He's a cool character. Um, got a lot of emotion out of him. I was really impressed with that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and I, I think that's what makes him unique because we've never seen a a, a droid that small with that much kind of speech personality to him. Uh, we, we did have Dio from episode nine and he was mm-hmm. able to speak a little bit for such a little guy, but he spoke very, very short sentences and it was very kind of nervous and, you know, very kind of cowardly because of his previous owner. Um, and uh, yeah, it was like, it kind of reminded me a little bit of that, but also very much held his own character through the show. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. 
um, he's, he's kind of been, I guess, the family droid because he's in the flashbacks as well, like when they first take yeah. Cassian from his homeworld. So uh, it's kind of funny to see him all polished and new and then see him like all rugged and dented and old like <laughs> like years yeah. later. So, yeah. And I find it really funny because I know, uh, I think it's, I, I'm trying to remember where it is, but I swear there's something comes up where it's like droids can't lie. And so like there, there's kind of the, the first conversation that you see between Cassian and, uh, and B. And Cassian's trying to get him to lie. He's like, "Oh, that's going to take a lot of power." Yeah, <laughs> like it's like it's way harder to lie for droids. Yeah, yeah. it just goes against their programming, right? Yeah, he's got to like bypass. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, uh, Bix, uh, another friend of Andor's, she's a feisty dealer in a in a, in a, like a mechanic shop, and and it seems that she runs and owns the mechanic shop because her name is actually an orbesh above the garage door uh her last name that is oh, right yeah so um i uh, i kind of figured like okay well i guess that's why she's kind of just running the show over there you know there's no one higher than her she's kind of like that's her business um and it seems to me and uh, the audience that um she's kind of got a side thing going on and uh, she goes into town, uses a hidden comm tower in a in a neighbor's business of some kind. She sends out a telegraph, and um, it's probably to the client that she speaks to Andor about uh, in regards to selling his very prized item that he's been saving for, I guess, the day that he wants to kind of finally leave Ferex, uh, which is the name, is Ferex, right? The name of the planet that they're on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. We see a, like a Star Wars version of a telegraph machine, which, you know, very popular use of technology back in the World Wars. And uh, we saw um, kind of the beginning stages of what it might be to be part of a rebel cell, but not really kind of actively doing missions, but more of being like kind of like from the sidelines, you're like the contact, right? Because I don't know about you guys, but when I first started watching the show, it wasn't until the second time around that I really started clue into a lot of things. Um, the first time around, I was very confused when it came to like, like what's her relationship to the client, you know, and, and how on earth is she like able to kind of have this side business selling, selling what, right? Like, like what exactly is like going on here? I was just kind of confused. Right. Um, so like, is she part of the rebellion or is she not part of the rebellion? You know, it's just like, it's kind of, uh, elusive, I guess. Well, they're yeah. they're in a scrapyard, yeah. so I think she's she's like the middle person to sell black market stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I guess a lot of her clients being um, are, are probably probably rebel cell clients, right? Just based on her secrecy around the Seems whole thing. Me. Yeah, and she's using Andor as a as a scavenger in that regards to to collect all the parts that she's selling. So um, I yeah. thought that was very interesting. And I guess it kind of fills in a little bit of an answer in regards to how does the rebellion supply itself? Because, you know, there's a whole empire out there, right? And and they need people, obviously, to get parts for repairing their ships. And, and uh, you know, somehow they got people working in every area of business in regards to, like, funding and everything. You know, ships, weapons, manufacturing, all that stuff. They got people everywhere trying to support mm-hmm. the cause right and i think what we're seeing yeah. is like it's from andor's perspective so he's kind of the outsider mm-hmm. and absent knowledge towards all of this stuff you know until the third episode where you know we'll get into it but um i think that's when like a lot of stuff is going to become clear to him it's like oh 
like I can fight this for real. Like I'm just kind of the bottom of the chain kind of lightly supporting this whole effort, but like I can really become something more in this story. So uh, I thought that was kind of neat and Bix plays a huge part in that. So uh, how'd you like Bix? Yeah. It was almost like um, watching the bottom of the substructure of what forms the rebellion. I remember, I think it was in The Last Jedi when Benicio Del Toro's character is a, is a DJ when he was explaining how, you know, this who owns this ship? It was a weapons manufacturer for the First Order and also the Resistance. And that was like the, the top level where you say, okay, so the Resistance obviously gets parts and, and has to manufacture from someone. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this, this showed right down to the bottom of where where it all comes from and at least from when i watched it the second time from uh bix specifically i could be wrong but it almost felt like andor and bix had a relationship in the past and and her business partner or her partner now i think it was tim um was obviously a little bit jealous of that and that got involved with how she was running her operation totally am i crazy or did it or did some at some point they say that she was his cousin yeah, so the second time that I listened, I listened and watched it. I I didn't catch that. I think I was just going crazy because okay. I thought that yesterday. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, they're. I think they're they're all just kind of friends. Um, and I think Tim, like what you mentioned, Kirk, is like Tim is a guy who works uh, for Bix Clean, and they have a bit of a overly friendly relationship as coworkers. And uh, um, I think he's just a little <laughs> bit jealous because he sees he sees Andor, who is also a colleague of his slash friend, I guess. They all kind of know each other. And he's always kind of like having secret meetings with her and kind of whispering in her ear stuff. And she always looks upset with him. But she co- goes out in the middle of the night to meet him at a cantina anyways and like all this random stuff. And he's yeah. just kind of like the jealous boyfriend that's like, oh, I really like yeah. this girl. And she looks like she's in trouble kind of associating with whatever with this guy. And I'm not a huge fan of it. And that's kind of his thought process, right? So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Also, I, thought, I feel like uh, that he probably thinks that Cassian's moving in on his girl. Mm, oh, 100%. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was like, I thought I thought the Bix character was really good. and But the one thing I was just like, she could do better was her excuses every time she had to run off to do something. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just... I'm I'm just running some errands. You just oh, gotta run I'm an run errand. Errand. Yeah. Yeah. I know I use that gonna, same excuse at work. Yeah, yeah I'm just like, can, can't you just say something else? Like, I gotta deliver this ship part or to this person. But no, she doesn't. Like, she's the worst excuse maker. Yeah, but yeah. Apart from that, yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty made. sure in the first yeah. three episodes she uses that excuse like over three times. It's like three or four times yeah. or something. Like, oh, where are you going? She's a busy oh, lady. Oh, gotta run an errand. Yeah, I mean, like, she is the shop owner, so it kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it's like he knows something's going on, right? So uh, yeah. it's it's just like, okay, well, you know, I think eventually he's going to get to the point where it's, you know, he's had enough and, and you know, certainly gets there. But, uh, yeah, Tim uh, is his name. Very interesting guy. Um, plays a bit of a part in this uh, story. And... Um, at one point, Tim actually makes a reference to Wabani, which is the planet that first appeared in Rogue One. It's the site uh, of the prison camp where Cassian Andor finds Jyn Erso in, uh, in the Rogue One film. And it, it really doesn't have anything to do with Rogue One. It's just kind of a nice little cameo, like a name drop. You know, I think it had something to do with their business is like the Wabani run or whatever. And you know, probably something in regards to some ship or some supply run or whatever and you know it's like oh yeah i recognize the name um mm. 
Yeah, we had a uh, we had some cameos as well with the uh, uh, the shipyard. Um, Blake, you caught this yesterday. We had the Shadowcaster model uh, Lancer yeah. class pursuit craft show up uh, in the big shipyard where Andor is kind of fixing up the ship that he borrowed, I guess, from that really kind of ticked off um, shipyard owner <laughs> with the uh, with the uh, Corellian hounds, and um, which was also a nice yeah. cameo from Solo, but. Is that the first time we've seen the Shadowcaster in live action? I'd be willing to bet that it was in the mix in episode nine, uh, just because like every ship in the galaxy was there. I'm pretty sure they probably threw it in. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, we also had appearances of uh, a Snowspeeder T47-esque looking ship. It wasn't exactly the same, but it was like a beefier kind of larger version. Um, and there was also a Y-Wing in there. So, um, yeah. Um, it turns out that bunch of r- random ships, yeah, a bunch of random ships. I thought it was kind of cool appearances in there. Um, turns out Cassian's borrowed ship as a very reluctant business owner basically tells him to shove off. So there goes his ride. Um, and hence kind of the reason why he has to pay that guy a large amount of money to essentially want to borrow, uh, I guess a, a, a ship or rent a ship uh, or I don't know. Is it was, I think that ship? was just to get off planet. Yeah. Just, just to get ride. off planet. Yeah. Cause what he wants to do is he wants to sell his, his merch um, through Bix's contact and then just ditch Ferrix. Like he wants to yeah. get the heck out of there. Well, mm, The heat's yeah. pretty high right now. Right. Yeah. He knows that. Yeah. Cause that same guy kind of lets him know, like, you know, kind of reading off the news, I guess the news headlines that they're looking for a, um, uh, a, a canary, young you know a guy from canary uh and his official records um uh, they've been shammed so that they it, it looks like he's been born on ferrix but you know he knows the truth he's he mm-hmm. he's the guy that they're looking for um uh, and so he's kind of been he keeps a asking rush. people he keeps asking for people if they've seen a, a woman from canary so yeah yeah because he's looking for a sister of course so mm. uh yeah mm. um the uh, the Primor Authority is pushed by uh, you know Mr. Anal Deputy Inspector <laughs> to find the murderer of the guards. So you know that investigation kind of kicks off. It's kind of on its way. I really do like his character as well, Kirk. Like it's uh, he's kind of this very interesting. Uh, like actually takes his job seriously, whereas like no one else kind of cares. Like everyone's like, oh, two yeah. guys just died in a slum alley. Like whatever kind yeah. of thing like they were messing well, around as but, the yeah. uh as the head guy says like before he blows it off and leaves the two cops there they were supposed to be on duty instead they were at a uh a lady's house let's call it yeah <laughs> <laughs> trying to get some entertainment for the evening uh and you know uh, they were all, i think he said they were on drugs and stuff too so it's like these guys were they were write-offs. They were like useless employees. So what does he care? Yeah. And they're yeah. living in some backwater dirt town. So like, yeah, I don't think I don't. They, nobody really cares, really, right? right. They know they're not going to change anything. So why bother? Yeah, mm. yeah. So it's interesting that once he leaves, and he kind he kind of tells the deputy, like, yeah, just leave it. You know, come up with a good excuse as to why they died, and we'll just kind of move on with life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he, I think that's why things get really interesting is because like the deputy kind of goes out of his yeah. way to like, no, let's investigate. And, you know, which is like, exactly against the orders he was told. Yeah. To so when, yeah, when boss man gets he, back, he, he's going to be in a lot of trouble. Be I think. <laughs> yeah. He get Especially because like, he was, I was just saying, because like, gonna say, go ahead, go, go ahead. From Blake. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, <laughs> we go back and forth there. I was going to say, like, he's like the perfect display of like, 
the, a person that has only ever pushed paper and never like held a blaster yeah. before. That's yeah. that's that's what I feel like he yeah. was like. And obviously, when he went on the battlefield first, and that speech that he gave, I was just like, he's probably just searched up the Star Wars YouTube equivalent on oh, yeah. motivational speeches, and then <laughs> and given that for the first time. So that that that's why I thought it was it was great. It was um it, yeah. yeah, it was really interesting. I think he's like a best representation of someone that's never actually stepped foot off the starship before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely no, totally. uh, over his uh, his. Uh, what he, was the expression I'm looking for? Um, out of out of his uh, you know his norm wheelhouse. Right? Uh, yeah, out of his wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the flashbacks, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the flashbacks, the kids make their way. Uh, so, like, we have flashbacks of, uh, as I mentioned, of young Cassian Andor on his home world, um, who are not speaking basic, which is uh, English. And um, they see a, a crash no ship. Subtitles, no subtitles. The no, there's no there's no subtitles. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah we're, we're not supposed to understand them. If you do turn on subtitles on on Disney Plus, it'll just say speaking Cronari. So um, yeah, we're not intended to understand what they're saying. But uh, they see a crash ship, kind of like enter in on their on their home planet, and uh, they 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 go off to investigate the crashed ship. And uh, he leaves a little girl behind in their town, which is, uh, or in their, their camp, I guess, where they have some tree houses set up. And I don't know, maybe it could be his little sister. I, I'm not entirely sure, but. Uh, that's what it seemed like. Yeah. And then, then it cuts to black. That's the end of the first episode. But um, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's get into episode two here. So it actually picks right. up that. Yeah, so can we start with the kids? Because actually I want to, I want to chat about them a little bit. Yeah. So it picks up with the flashback. Uh, continuing and um, a young Cassian looks over a large quarry on his homeworld, which happens to be an abandoned Imperial mine. Uh, some sort of Imperial mining disaster happened there. Everyone died. It was terrible. Um, they all kind of packed up and left. So now it's just a lot of the, the, um, uh, I think it, it might be one more than that. It's like, cause this is exactly what I was going to get into. Yeah. Cause there's only kids left and they've formed essentially a Lord of the Flies situation, all the all yeah. these kids, right? And and so I think what happened was there was the, the mine had a horrible accident and all of the adults were, were killed. Yeah. And so all yeah. these kids that were probably left in the town or whatever, they were the sole survivors. So they've just been abandoned on this planet, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's like they it's like all the parents obviously like maybe stowed the kids away before everything before everything happened. And obviously they may oh, may yeah. have been the only ones that survived and, and hence explaining um, explaining why they're the only ones left. I'm, I'm, I, there's a bit of a continuity thing that I'm a little confused at. Maybe we'll get answers to it later. Um, but the, the, in the first episode, the, uh, the ship guy, or maybe it's the second episode is the, the guy he talks to, to buy a ship for 700 credits, uh, or rent a, get a ride out of Ferrix kind of thing. Um, he says that the Imperial mining disaster on, uh, that on his home world essentially was an Imperial mining disaster. But the flashback mm-hmm. is clearly based in the days of the Clone Wars because the uh, the characters present in that scene that come for him reference Republic ships coming out of space, orbiting the planet. Yeah. And the guys in the uniform, the crew on the ship uh, are wearing separatist kind of flight crew uniforms oh, and the yeah. patches on their sleeve I- have the. So I was really confused when he said Imperial mining disaster, because at this point in time, all the parent, all the adults are dead. 
Um, but it probably yeah. wasn't the Empire that actually... So I, I don't know if it's maybe he Just was kind of retroactively looking at the Repu- at a different faction as like the Empire. Maybe it was the Republic that was there. I'm not entirely sure, but... Um, yeah, that hopefully we get an answer to. Maybe it could be just like, a, I don't know. I highly doubt they made a mistake in, in the story yeah. with timeline stuff, but there was a few things that kind of popped up that I was like, oh, that's kind of, that doesn't really line up too well. No, so no, that's a good point. Cause I was looking at that patch. I thought it was the Imperial science patch, but you're right. The timeline doesn't yeah. work mm-hmm. out for that. I, I think that there's where there's maybe some more flashbacks to come. And I have a feeling that there although there were no adults there i feel like this mining disaster mentioned may have happened a lot later after when they were kids Mm -hmm. potentially i'm not sure and when i hear imperial mining disaster i i hear also potentially another early death star test because that's what Mm. they called the imperial mining disaster in rogue one so i feel like although those kids those kids were there i feel like that mining disaster may have happened maybe 20 years afterwards and Obviously, that was such a small little clan of kids, and this, the questions: Why are there any kids there as well? Yeah. So that's what my initial thought was. But if if that was the planet after mining disaster, and they were calling them Imperials and everything, yeah, I think that does raise some questions about timeline and, and continuity. Doesn't doesn't Cassian also at one point refer to Cronari as a, as a was? Like when he re- references the planet, he he almost speaks of it as if it's not really a planet anymore. Yeah, I feel like it could have been a, maybe a Death Star test. I reckon. Yeah, it, 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 I reckon that's definitely a big thing because obviously when they did it, uh, the the name escapes me of the Jedi. When they did it on Jedi, it was only at like one single reactor power, I believe the quote was, mm-hmm. and it pretty much wiped out half the planet. I'd say we didn't get a big wide shot at the end, but I have a feeling after he, I think it would have been in Episode Two, but I might be going into three, so I won't so I won't go just yet. But I, I feel like uh, after the, that whole interaction with all the kids on the planet, something could have happened to that planet on a whole because when they were there, everything was still quite intact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, his his homeworld of of Casa, yeah, it is. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, I think the the story there is is def- there's there's a lot more to it, but uh, mm. um, yeah, it's it's a it's a planet that if you know if you look it up, it, there's there's not um, there's not a whole lot about it. And, uh, it's it, when he refers to it in the show, it's a very subtle drop, but it is almost like in, in uh, like a past tense, um, when he references Casa. So, uh, maybe it's completely uninhabitable now, now, like, uh, maybe something further happened later. Um, I don't know what happened, uh, in that flashback. It's clearly during the Clone Wars, the mining, uh, kind of quarry looks deserted, but, Looks maybe deserted, yeah maybe it's the walls and everything collapsed yeah know. but that's the thing if it was an imperial mining disaster maybe the empire comes in uses it later and then something more terrible happens and it might mm-hmm. be that maybe something is released into the air and and it becomes like a toxic environment no one can live there anymore um so mm-hmm. maybe that's what the past tense is for maybe that's what uh maybe that's what the the, the yellow gas poisoning all of the separatist flight crew that crashed down maybe that's what it is like i'm not entirely sure yet but um i guess we'll uh we'll find out in 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 the next couple episodes i would i would assume so um yeah one last thing before we move on because i can tell we're moving on here the easter egg that i thought if you can call it that it was kind of neat is that 
it's a mining planet and there's a mining disaster and it's called canary like a canary in the coal mine oh that was kind of funny oh nice <laughs> oh wow <laughs> maybe that's where they got it i don't know i think that i think so i think that's where they got the idea um there was uh speaking of small cameo appearances or or uh little subtle drops uh we get the very famous trailer um scene in which a guy goes up to the bell tower in the town and uh hits the the bell <laughs> with these giant hammers and uh yeah and um it's actually um the bell is actually made of beskar so that's a oh, giant piece of beskar yeah uh, and um so where did it come from so the reason i know this is because when i watch it around the second time i always put on audio description and subtitles and audio description reveals a lot. And I think I mentioned this when we were when I was doing uh, uh, when we were doing the book of Boba Fett um, and uh, audio description just kind of confirms things that otherwise you kind of might infer, but not really know about. And it actually like does t- say like it's like it hits the Beskar bell. And I was like, oh, no way. Like that's that's a giant slab wow. of Beskar. That's crazy. So I don't know how I feel about that because yeah. Beskar is supposed to be super rare and only a Mandalore. I think. Yeah. I, well, it's. Yeah, go ahead, Kirk. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of Mando arm, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, it's this huge honking thing. And uh, and the hammers as well. But, um, you know, all I could think to myself was, like, maybe there's something about Ferrix that's, like, uh, perhaps got some Mando history to it. Like, maybe uh, maybe, in, maybe if maybe they're referencing the old Mandalorian Wars or something. Like, maybe, um, maybe Mandalorians mm-hmm. were once settled there at one point, uh, once upon a time. Um, it is a very kind of desert planet, so it's not super different from what, where they're used to living, I guess. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, well, it depends what what you're looking at, because Mandalore originally was a forested far- farming planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, post. Uh, I, I mean, like post kind of destroy destruction of their home world. They, you know, they still just yeah. decided to stay there, right? So. Uh, yeah, I just I thought to myself like, oh wow, that's a giant piece of Beskar. That must be super heavy, uh, and or really light. Uh, I I forget exactly how much it's supposed to weigh, but uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Um, I feel like if there was any guy that took his job more seriously than the other <laughs> corporate officer was was the Bell guy. Yeah, <laughs> like just, that guy really so liked his job. He yeah, did. He's so passionate. <laughs> Uh, Cassian arrives home and his adoptive mother, his, her name is Marva. She's played by the same actress who plays Dudley's mom from Harry Potter. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, she knows about the authorities looking for Andor, which, uh, news is spread now. And, uh, she has helped cover up his past, uh, by kind of unofficially slash officially adopting him. She's kind of stated on all official records that he was born on Ferrix and, uh, or sorry, Fest. And, um, and uh, it's assumed that maybe a, a few people out there know his true identity or his true past, uh, which Bix and Tim do, uh, some of his close friends. And um, Fex, uh, or Fest uh, is a, a planet that's appeared before in, in both the, the new Disney canon and old Legends continuities. Um, in the current canon, it's um, a, play, a planet that houses a, a rebel headquarters. And in Legends, the planet held an Imperial base. Most famously, um, it was uh, used as a, a level in the classic first-person shooter Dark Forces. 
Uh, I feel like Phil should be here right now to kind of give a 20 minute long rant about how much he loves dark forces, but uh, <laughs> we'll get that next time. Um, yeah. Cool little kind of cameo drops. Bix tells Andor that uh, the buyer is coming kind of bad timing with uh, pre more investigation teams kind of on the way hunting Andor down and him constantly spying on Bix is uh, it, like kind of on her quiet side business. Uh, you know, he's kind of, he's had enough. He goes to the public comm booth, which is, basically a public telephone and he calls the Primor authority rats out Andor. uh they start to investigate his official profile and the deputy inspector decides that it's him the brothel hostess comes into the room and likely confers it's probably off screen but confirms that Andor is the guy that they're probably looking for because she did speak to him at the at the brothel house um and so kind of like the hunt begins but um yeah, it might be kind of an insignificant thing, but what did you guys think of this like public payphone comm system? It's like I think we've only seen that once in the Clone Wars, but other than that, I was like I was impressed just how much they managed to Star Warsify uh, a public telephone. <laughs> My favorite part was as soon as you went went up to use it, the guy next to him, the alien there, and like the 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 next booth over, kind of like scowls at him, like turns his back. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like just, classic, like, like payphone move. Yeah, 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 like classic. Anyone using a public telephone is just like kind of like doing some shady business or something like. Yeah, yeah trying to get as much privacy as you can in this like yeah, super yeah. small cramped booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. It was, it was almost like uh, was there another like telephone booth next to him that he could have used to leave like a one person gap? You know when people don't use the gap <laughs> like urinals. With that. Yeah, like at the yeah, that's it's like. All right, why are you standing right next to me? There's a free one over there. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, it's right like that middle. moment when you walk into the men's washroom and there's like a lineup of urinals. You never pick the one next to a guy that's using one. You always go to the other end of the yeah. room or you leave Leave's one space. to space. You know, it's just like the unofficial unsaid rule. It's like in the it's in the bro code. <laughs> right. Like you don't go and stand next to a guy in a row of urinals that are all free. <laughs> In Star Wars, you don't spend next to a guy making a suspicious transfer outside of the. Uh, That's the, uh, right. Yeah, you pick you pick the booth like two two away kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. They they're very reminiscent of phone booths here in North America. Um, uh, in England, uh, I guess phone booths are very much kind of in an enclosed environment, like a small tower. I mean, I think a lot of people are familiar with those look like the red telephone booths, or if anyone's seen Doctor Who, uh, with the police call box. You know, it's like a little building like made for a phone but um what do you guys have in australia for public phones like i i've never been there before i'm kind of curious yeah it's it, i think it's probably same as what it is in, in north america we don't have big boxes uh we we go into but there's occasionally every once in a while there's a few like 10 of them in a row but they're all kind of free now and they're all actually public wi-fi hotspots they they converted them all to oh, wow. which is uh kind of oh, interesting yeah but uh yeah like you don't use coins anymore like you can just go off to them and and, and call but um, yeah, I haven't used, I've never used a payphone before. Not, not, not for probably like 15 years, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time. I'll say I, I, in my day, I used them more for pranks than I did <laughs> yeah. for kind of practical, especially when caller ID was a thing, like first coming yeah. around. Cause I know I got caught from that once and then you use the payphone instead. So it's anonymous. <laughs> yeah. I've learned. And I'm sure back then you knew when you were using the payphone not to go right next to the other guy when you were using it. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. small, small towns that we only had yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't so much going uh, next to the guy. It was more of like, okay, Waiting who are you line. standing behind? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> you keep looking at your watch and tapping your foot. Yeah. Uh, in classic Star Wars fashion, we kind of cut to the middle of the action. And uh, as they read off Andor's official profile, it's uh, it's actually apparent that he's known already for insurrection, destruction of Imperial property, and assault on an, uh, Imperial soldiers. So um, he's already kind of known with a record. He's already got something on, to his name um, as far as uh, kind of crimes against the empire goes, which I thought was interesting. Um, it also leaves a bit of space for them to kind of tell us how that may have happened, like between his youth and now. So I think maybe for all the whole season, unlike book of Boba, where we only got flashbacks for half the show, I think this show will go the full length and deliver us flashbacks in every episode. That's just my theory, but you know, we'll see it. We'll see if it happens. Um, hmm. how do you guys like this flashback thing? Do you like kind of going back and forth like this or, or is it kind of a little distracting? I'm liking well, I'm glad, it. Yeah. I'm, I'm liking it as well. I'm glad that the, that there aren't any actual like translations because I, at, at first I thought I forgot to put on the subtitles. Yeah. We did the same it. thing. I'm liking it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so too. Um, my one concern is now we've got two series in a row doing it. So it's like, are they going to, is this going to become a thing? Like they always have yeah. to do it. You know what I mean? Cause I also pointed out uh, that, that we've had multiple shows now where there's these grizzled soldiers taking care of a child. So it's right. like, it's like they have two formulas now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. If you want to go story A or story B. Yeah. Those yeah. Are our options. Form- formula so, A or B. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they don't keep doing it. Uh, I think Josh, didn't we talk about that? There's supposed to be a third timeline, or am I crazy? Uh, a third timeline in, maybe in that, Andor. Maybe, maybe we're getting it mixed up. We talked about different timelines going on in shows. Oh, maybe, I think I think you might be thinking Higher of Republic. You might be thinking of yeah. You might be thinking of Higher Republic or Tales of the Jedi. I okay. feel like all this jumping around mm-hmm. with all the new Star oh, Wars stories, it kind Jedi, of gets all jumbled a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because um, I thought there was going to be three, but I think I might have just got it mixed up then. Right. Uh, Tim and Bix, they got a hot night going on. Um, you know, <laughs> she goes over, she couldn't they, sleep. Uh, they hook up. Yeah. Um, I was like, I, all I could think about was like, have we seen anything like this before in star Wars and in star um, Wars? Yeah. And in the, the only, books. the only thing I could think of is like the night that Anakin spends at Padme's, he wakes up with nightmares, yeah. goes into the living room and stuff. That's like the only thing that I was like, Oh yeah. Um, similar ish but um you know i mean we got a shirtless anakin like i feel like that was maybe like the closest to to this Uh, moment that we got comics i know there's like in the lando comic he's like in bed with the lady he's like waking up with nightmares or whatever on on screen though i mean on screen have we ever seen anything like i feel like there's there's never really been a super pg it is yeah super it's like in Star Wars, it was always kissing is the equivalent of sex. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like uh, that in combination with Andor just like shooting a guy after looking him in the eyes for like 10 seconds. And then between this, I'm just like, this is not like for kids. This is, this is, yeah, it's a bit more gritty. Violent. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is not the first show. And, and I feel like the first three episodes, if I was like, you know, if I was a 10 year old kid getting into Star Wars, I'd be like, man, what did I just watch? I want to go back to the prequels and all the fighting and the lightsabers and stuff like this is uh yeah a very big departure in my opinion yeah from yeah. Uh, the normal stuff yeah that yeah. being said i'm really liking it a lot so yeah yeah exactly and it's good it's a yeah. new it's I a new it genre funny though, for Star Josh, Wars. yeah yeah i find it funny though that you're like 
flagging that there's this well you could say it's a one is no that these this couple is uh having relations <laughs> but you, you didn't flag the fact that in the first episode they go to what is essentially a whorehouse <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well i think that's just because that's we true. didn't really see much like i actually i kind of right. looked it up it's so very implied it's very implied ladies are, are ladies of the night yeah it's very implied um the the hologram in that first episode in the lounge that you're talking about um, I mean, because yeah. it's not directly referred to as a brothel, but it, uh, there is a yeah, goat. There's a brothel. A, yeah, it's a brothel uh, because in the yeah. uh, audio description, it listed the the woman who comes in who spoke to him as the brothel hostess. Um, and oh, uh, there you go. The, yeah, the hologram yeah. showed a go-go dancer, which I thought like, oh, well, maybe it's yeah. just like a bar with go-go dancers because that's also maybe a thing like. Uh, but yeah. yeah, no, it's it's straight oh. up a brothel. So, I I just yeah. I just I knew they weren't just going in there to play with lightsabers. It was not. It was not. <laughs> or were they? <laughs> yeah. No wonder that guy was so angry. He was getting cut in line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's my turn. Yeah. That's right. I've been waiting here twenty minutes. <laughs> uh, we just we're just getting into Game of Thrones now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe that's what they're doing. They're testing the waters. Yeah, they're testing the waters. Yeah. Can we do an R-rated Star Wars movie? Would any of you guys oh watch an? R-rated Star Wars movie. Um, I, I thought of an R-rated Vader horror movie, like him just ripping that'd be up cool. people. That'd, that'd be interesting. Like, that'd like, be interesting. Yeah, it'd have to be, like R-rated as in like the Logan equivalent, like the Wolverine Logan movie. Yes. So R-rated, R-rated for violence over... Like Game of, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not interested in like topless yeah, Twi'leks. Yeah. No. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. if you really wanted to go and look at that, you, you can elsewhere. I, I don't. I have no interest in seeing that in in mainstream. Right, uh, right. In, in mainstream yeah. Star Wars stuff. Yeah. But as far as like gritty action, sure. Yeah. yeah. I I might be getting a little bit sidetracked here, but in terms of, I know there's some common criticism in Star Wars these days is that um, Disney has been a little bit lighter in terms of um, you know the the violence and everything. Yeah. But I couldn't yeah. agree. I, I couldn't disagree more i feel like star wars has never been even from the opening scene of the force awakens with the blood on the stormtrooper helmet mm-hmm. i feel like it's never been this more violent compared to any other star wars um yeah obviously that's very subjective but yeah, I feel yeah. Like it's it really depends more, on the show yeah, yeah it really because yeah. like rebels was way less violent yeah. than clone wars was for example mm, mm, mm. but everyone thought they'd be the same yeah, but I think Josh, you pointed out that it actually was a slightly younger audience. Yeah, it was designed for Disney Plus, uh, Disney uh, XD, whereas whereas um, Clone Wars was was put on Cartoon Network, and George himself described Clone Wars as for teenagers, whereas I think Rebels was kind of designed for that preteen kind of younger, you know, mm-hmm. kids between ten and twelve sort of age. So yeah, you know, just young okay. enough that we don't see anyone with blaster holes in their in their uh, yeah. suits. Whereas like in Clone Wars, like you straight up see a clone jury would get like charred out from the inside. Like there's like, you know, like glowing rings around where the blaster bolt just went right through the chest and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's not in rebels, but, um, but yeah, no, I agree with you, Kirk. I think like, as far as the movies goes, like they've been pretty consistent, um, blood and stuff on the helmet, uh, kind of reminded me of like when the next who scrapes Padme's back in the gene ocean arena, um, so, you know, they've gone as far as that before. Of course, Anakin, we can't forget his like charred up body and <laughs> on fire. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I yeah, mean, that's like, probably the most extreme. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, 
the immolation scene. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, as far as the shows go, like, you know, the violence hasn't disappointed. No. Um, it's just Revenge of the Sith, though. Because, like, also, uh, the death of younglings. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that is true. Dead kids <laughs> on the ground all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mandalorian, yeah. Book of Boba. Um, it was the Book of Boba episode that we got Mandalorian cutting people's limbs off left, right, and center with the Darksaber in that uh, butcher house. And that was really cool. Uh, like when he when he basically cuts that dude in half on the table, uh, that yeah, was pretty. That was, cool. that was pretty next level as well. So you know, I feel like you're right in the sense like the live action stuff. It's keeping to that mark of like you know good kind of violence action in Star Wars. But uh, but yeah, for the other like, stuff, it really like, depends on the show. Do you feel like Book of Boba took a step back from that though? I feel like it was less violent. Well, that scene with Mando takes just... is in the Book of Boba, so. Right. Yeah, I guess. Because yeah, I guess I yeah. picture that as part of Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. Man- Book Mando of Boba, you could call it Mando 2.5 if you'd rather. Yeah, I mean. confusing. <laughs> yeah. I feel like not just violence, but I feel like just the themes and what's shown on screen, like the romance and then obviously the yeah. the, the brothel and everything. Like we haven't seen that quite, um, well, maybe not re- recently, but it's good to see that they're taking those steps rather than just producing um, and I love rebels, but rather than just producing rebels, kind of um, that those extremes or uh, as well. Mm. So yeah, it's it's yeah. it's good. It's good because it make it makes Star Wars and the whole galaxy seem more realistic and more less glossy. I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it is interesting. Um, I think they're trying to split their audience a bit because this is for an older audience, and then they got Skeleton Crew coming out, which is for like a quite a bit younger audience compared to yeah, say Mandalorian, which is maybe more middle of the road. Yeah, Skeleton Crew will be for younger viewers. Um, that that much has kind of been made clear. There's also a new animated series called uh, I think it's is it Tales Tales of the Jedi or something mm-hmm. something yes, along those lines. And, yeah. Or sorry, not Tales of the Jedi. That's that's Clone Wars age based. There's another one. Uh, there's another. It's, I think it's like Young Jedi something or another. There's like there's another animated show that's coming out next year. I totally forget what it's called. And I think it's High Republic based and it's for like really young viewers. Like we're talking like six and seven kind of something around there. So, um, which is same as resistance. Uh, yeah. Something maybe close to that. Yeah. So, uh, young Jedi art adventures. Yes. Young yes. Jedi adventures. Young Jedi adventures. Yeah. yeah. So if you look up young Jedi adventures, you can get a screen. <laughs> His names are just getting so unoriginal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so young jedi adventures um animated series it's going to be focused on preschool or grade school and families um and it's set to release on disney plus in 2023 and disney junior which is i guess a public tv channel there's one snapshot so far with the title card and what the characters look like and it's yoda and like a bunch of jedi trainees there's like a new kind of species they're or, uh, like alien species that they're debuting with this show, which is basically like a blue furry Ewok kind of style character. Um, and uh, it's definitely evident to me that's like, okay, yeah, now they're targeting like a whole new younger age group than they ever have before. So they're they really like trolls. They're really hitting all the bases, I think, with, with, yeah. But um, okay, yeah. So to yeah. get back to Andor here, uh, the, the crash ship in the flashback seems to be a separatist ship. The patches on the uniforms kind of confirm this. It's established in the lore that uh, when Cassian says in Rogue One that he's been fighting since he was six years old, he possibly meant that he was also fighting for the Separatists because um, 
just the way that the timelines work out, um, which is the losing side of the Clone Wars, as we know. And uh, we get to see a little bit of that history in the flashbacks uh, in his childhood on uh, Canari. And uh, the ship that crash lands on the planet seems to be piloted by separatist operatives, which, you know, we just mentioned that earlier. Um, and yeah, and they're all like, it's like poison gas or something escaped on the ship and everyone's like choking to death. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of loaded. Right, right. So there's a lot of questions that kind of surround this thing. But, um, you know, this was the episode yeah. that kind of put that in focus. Uh Luthan Rail uh, is the name of the client, uh, the guy working with um, Bix, who's prepared to buy this piece of merch that uh, Andor has. And uh, audio description and subtitle related note is the voice that he speaks to in his ship when he's landing and he kind of talks to his ship. And it's like a kind of like a smart assistant that tells him, you know, landing uh, plan uh, optimized or whatever. Um, it's actually called a Fondor droid mod. Uh, Fondor is the name of the system that makes a crap ton of ships. Like that's just kind of what they do. They, the Fondor shipyards. And uh, I thought it was kind of interesting little piece of knowledge that otherwise wouldn't have if I didn't have like the subtitles and the audio description on. But um, yeah, it's called a Fondor droid mod. So just a little bit of an interesting kind of, you know, name cameo there. And um, the character Luthen Rail is played by Stellan Skarsgård, who's also known from Pirates of the Caribbean. Karak, where do you recognize him from mostly? I think uh, Avengers is probably the the easiest one. He was a yeah. professor, wasn't he? And oh yeah, of course, yeah, Thor. Yeah. yeah, he was in Thor as the Doctor. Yeah, the first Thor movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think I remember seeing him in Chernobyl as well. Um, oh, actually, he was, the biggest thing I remember him from is was Dune recently. He was um, the oh, Baron. Of course. Um, that's right. Yeah. Although, although he did not look like Stellan Skarsgård, <laughs> that, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Is the uh, what, what's what's the character's name? The the Emperor uh, guy. The the, the Baron Harkonnen. Yeah, Baron. In, yeah. Uh, the, in right, Dune. Right. Yeah, the yeah. Baron. Yeah. 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 But yeah, great. Uh, I think he's an awesome actor, and he really really fits the the, the sci fi genre. So it's cool to see him in, in Star Wars. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of what I was going to going to mention. Like, how, how do you guys, uh, I mean, like his character? I mean, I, you know, I thought I thought his character is pretty mysterious so far, but I like it. You know, I'm really digging his his way of talking too. Uh, he's got a bit of a bit of a slang to how he talks and uh, pronounces Cassian Andor's name throughout the episode. And yeah, and, yeah but- I don't know if he was just saying it wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like like he like this he just didn't read the script correctly. Like Han 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 yeah. Right? These days I'll end Cassie and Ander. Ander <laughs> I think he's just used to being bootstrap Bill, so he's still talking like a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, like, I looked at you yesterday. And all I said was, uh, "Was uh, what was it? What was it about bootstrap?" Yeah, uh, we taught a cannon the bootstraps, bootstraps. <laughs> that part of the that movie, was, uh, yeah, I can't get it up. That that was a very, that was almost a very good Aussie accent there. I, uh, I give you five stars out of five for that one. <laughs> Nice, nice Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, it's funny as far as uh, Aussie accents go. Um, when I was in Florida, we saw a hard rock cafe, but the R on the, the logo was not lit up. So I pronounced it as the hard rock. <laughs> and I was like, hey, that, that sounds like uh, something that maybe someone from Australia might say. <laughs> you want to yeah, go up there and something? Yeah, the, running- the hard rock. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, can be the, oh you can be the next Crocodile Dundee, we'll see. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, so, uh, flat, uh, flashback of, of uh, uh, Cassian's younger years, the attack of the crew um, with the children, their leader person dies, uh, Andor goes rogue and starts investigating the Separatist ship. And the episode ends with a very kind of rock-like music, which we've rarely heard before in Star Wars, and jogs through yeah. a salvage yard, which reminded me of Bracca, which is seen in Fallen Order, the video game, as well as the Bad Batch uh, season one, where we first meet Captain Rex in that show. But um, yeah, it was it was kind of cool. I mean, uh, gives gives the planet a bit more depth with the with the salvage yard, and and the music was fantastic i thought it was like wow it's great and, you know i i love seeing new things in star wars that we haven't seen before and i feel like the only other time we've seen rock music in star wars was like the the clone wars show and and specifically like the the battle of teth when uh you know we get like the the vulture droids and it was obi-wan kenobi is coming in and and uh, and uh yeah. you know there's like that crazy or no i think it's when they're scaling the cliff I think it's when they're scaling the cliff and Ahsoka and Anakin are kind of riding steps like up the side of the Teth Mountain and there's like this you know just like this rock right. like, yeah what <laughs> yeah even then after me it fell out of place so did you not like the uh the, the music ending of this most of it's been fine I just I don't I don't to me electro guitar just feels weird in Star Wars <laughs> Kirk what'd you think of this uh this ending to the to the second um, episode, I, I, at least in, in terms of the music, I, I thought that's one of the things I have been I haven't noticed in 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 all of the episodes so far. I think like Mando, for example, that's like it's iconic music now, and all Star Wars music is like is iconic, at least in the prequels and the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's one thing I guess I uh, I don't really have an opinion on because I haven't I don't remember any themes at all, and there's nothing really too uh, iconic and. I guess that's a maybe a bit of a miss, considering that Star Wars is known for being quite reliant and and theme expressive with their music. So maybe yeah. we'll see some more themes in, in in the future. But yeah, that I guess that's a bit of a miss for me. Right. Yeah. So um, here's the song. I think this is the one that I was comparing it to, but. You can hear like the, the really like deep guitar in the background. I think that's from Clone Wars, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Alright, let me skip forward a bit. Oh, wait. Uh, <laughs> oh, here it is. Sounds like yeah. generic action music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's very interesting. Oh, Electric man. guitar and stuff. So yeah, very kind like, of out of place in a way. But you know that yeah. it was really popular a few years ago. It's like a almost like a Russian orchestra, and they have like guitar, and they do mm. Christian or they do a Christmas music. Right. You guys remember this? Um, it sounds. That's familiar. what it sounds like to it me. Sounds familiar, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, I think it can be tasteful using different music, uh, instruments. Like, for example, at the opening season in season one of oh, season two, sorry, of The Mandalorian, where they use yeah. like the the guitar to, I guess, a bit more of a rendition of the original theme. 
like it can be used, but anyway, I hope we yeah. get some more good music. No, I get yeah. it. Yeah, sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss. So yeah, I feel I felt I felt the vibe in the room. Just like people are like, yeah, it doesn't really sound like Star Wars, but um, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't I didn't mind it too much, but it seems like so you guys aren't 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 on board with the rock music then. <laughs> well, I feel like maybe they're pushing too much. To me, I feel like you can do pretty much anything in the Star Wars universe, and it'll feel like Star Wars as long as the music is right. Mm. yeah yeah fair enough yeah, yeah absolutely no i don't know. I, I just prefer my orchestral music what can i say that's fair that's <laughs> yeah. fair all right um episode three um it's called reckoning and uh there's not as much to talk about in this one just because it's a whole lot of action um but it seems like we got time to get into that um flashback young Andor who explores the ship Again, yellow gas is intoxicated. The ship crew. Um, we uh, oh, here we go. Um, the shuttle that Luthen rides on looks like a train car. It's a neat vintage, very Star Warsy kind of design. And uh, you know, Kirk, you, I mean, you're you're kind of like the design guy around here. Like, what would you think of that shuttle that he's riding on? Yeah, it was uh, it was quite it was quite cool. This is the shuttle when um, they were entering into the planet with the guy. Yeah, with the top yeah, that's hat. right. Is that the one? Yeah, he's like talking yeah, to that stranger across on the bench, um, and they're like flying yeah. in that train car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I liked it. I, I um, I'm not obviously as, as familiar with all the ships and and model names and everything in the in the Star Wars universe, but at, at least I I did definitely notice that one, and I especially love to see new kind of designs. Mm-hmm come in rather than you know rehashing uh rehashing old ones so um especially especially in live action especially in live action yeah you know and a, and a small kind of local shuttle like like that which is kind of described to um to uh what did i say his name was <laughs> um you know scars guards character luthan oh yeah um luthan, it's yeah. described to him as kind of like a, a taxi or a shuttle uh by his ship mm-hmm. droid uh mod thing and uh it's also you know i described thought, as very overpriced yeah yeah well i i thought to myself like uh like it's it's cool that that there's ships and stuff kind of being tailor-made to whatever culture kind of exists on that world right and this is a very much like a salvage planet so it, it was just like it, again it's a small thing but it's those small things that kind of make the galaxy right it's just kind of what gives it yeah it, it's kind of what gives star wars the personality that we know and love and and what feels star wars right uh it's that grittiness it's like the use the used aspect of it like the the old age of a lot of this stuff um the fact that it looks like a trolley like a vintage trolley but spacified and thrown in star wars and it's like it just, I don't know. There was just something about it. I was like, this really fits. Like, this works. And yeah, uh, it's I thought this- it was so funny too that he's writing it and the guy just like starts chatting with him. Yeah. Like, like, like you would on any train, like right? Time. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're on a city bus. <laughs> yeah. It's another, <laughs> I mean, you another can tell. example. Yeah. Another example of invading personal space. We had the phone booth and then we had this one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. You can tell right away because, like, Whenever that happens to me, I'm like, I just want to be left alone. You can kind of read that from uh, <laughs> Luthen's face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm in propulsion. What do you do for a living? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, the guy, if you just don't answer, he'll just fill in the blanks for you and keep talking at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've yeah. all had a moment like that on public transit. Um, the authorities arrive on Ferrix in a midi lat looking gunship. Now, uh, this is a new Lego set coming out this fall, which is, um, I don't know if it's already out yet or not, but it was revealed at Celebration. 
Um, these are kind of cool little ships. They're actually smaller than I thought they would be, but they reminded yeah, me a lot way of smaller. Yeah, they reminded me a lot of Republic gunships. Uh, they were they were pretty cool in design though, very kind of triangular. They got the the it's, wings. It's got to be down. the same same company. Yeah, like same manufacturer. I or think something like that. Yeah, it seemed like the one we got in Clone Wars was like the full size dropship, and mm-hmm. this must be like the like the smallest version you could get for just like local stuff. I thought it was cool that they all kind of deploy from that giant, weird, triangular-looking structural ship that goes through hyperspace, and it's like it's just like a drop ship that kind of kind of goes out like an escape pod would, except it's like an actual drivable yeah. vehicle. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was cool too. Because at first I thought those were gun turrets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then the ships took off. Um, Bix and Luthen clearly have talked about Cassian, uh, cause, uh, they, they meet up on, on, in the town and, uh, Luthen is aware that the authorities are looking for Cassian and he wishes to meet him anyways. And, um, maybe I, I thought I started to think to myself like, oh yeah, this is kind of what gave me the idea that Bix is probably part of a rebel cell, uh, or kind of, and doesn't really disclose that to anyone, even Andor, like maybe Andor doesn't even know what he's doing, uh, when he's working for Bix, but, um, I thought to myself, like, wow, they're quite familiar with each other, like Luthen and Bix, like they kind of know each other. Like she knows already what he looked like because all she had to do was kind of see him, you know, pay for her drink and just go over and start talking to him as they were kind of walking down the street. So, you know, I thought to myself, like, OK, yeah, there's something else going on here. I feel like maybe we're going to see a lot more Bix despite the events of this third episode. I feel like she's going to kind of come up as a continuous mm-hmm. character through this story of the uh, earlier kind of rebellion. So, uh, yeah, Luthen, uh, that is a retractable cane as per the audio description. If anyone was wondering what that silver stick was that he was holding, it's not a toy lightsaber. It's a <laughs> retractable <laughs> cane. <laughs> like cane sword. Yeah. Did he, uh, I can't remember, when he retracted it, did he push it up against something or did it all like like retract on its own? Very specific detail, but yeah, yeah it's it, quite cool. Yeah, you yeah. Put a button and it retracted, and then you put it in a pocket. I want, I want one. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, one. yeah, exactly. You know, and I thought I was thinking to myself, yeah. like, I, I don't know what it is with like human beings and like the need for like retractable toys and gear, but like it's just cool, like things that just kind of open yeah. and close by themselves. And yeah, compact size for storage. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think uh, that, like, and uh, we mentioned the, the ship design before as well. I think one thing I wanted to say is how amazing the show looks. Like, the sets look real. The the mm. universe looks expanded. And the best way, and, and I guess it's the way I described um, Dune when I watched Dune, is that it almost feels like you're watching a documentary. Like, they're filming events that kind of happened. Yeah. I think there's so much detail that's gone into it. And everything look, looks lived in and not polished. So, they've done yeah. a phenom- phenomenal job on, on the overall look of the of the film. Yeah, thank you. Oh, TV show, sorry. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up because um, you know it is worth noting for sure that this is the first Star Wars show that doesn't rely on the volume, the stagecraft technology mm. that they designed for Mandalorian, uh, which has become very popular with a lot of shows these days. It's being used uh, even by other companies, um, different variations of the same sort of tech on House of Dragon and you know other shows now. It's like it's just a huge kind of it's just the next thing, right? It's just the next thing that's going to replace yeah, green screen. It's a new green screen. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Andor didn't use that as a backbone. I'm sure they used it maybe for some shots, but um, but it, it, they made an effort of saying like, no, we actually built sets for this. This was approached as a giant movie that we just then diced up and 
kind of uh, where made a was there an article or something about this? Yeah, it was on. Uh, was. I believe it was on the Vanity Fair Star Wars article that came out a while ago. Um, but they've they've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. They talked about Andor being kind of the first big budget on set building sets kind of thing. Um, and mm-hmm. you know there is a lot of visual effects in 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 the environments and stuff. Um, as there always is, but, but yeah, this is the first one that, and, and that, you know, to get back to what you said, Kirk, about like the scope of this show feels so much bigger because of that. Right. Um, I didn't, I, I don't know about you, but like, I just got a different feeling watching this show compared to Kenobi, Book of Boba and Mandalorian. There's just something that feels yeah. different. You know, the shots that they're getting, it, the vastness of the does. environments. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the good examples for that, I remember looking at some early behind the scenes, like leaks and photos of the sets, is that that scene when the, the townspeople were running through hitting all the metal um, bells and stuff to to warn people. Mm-hmm. I think that entire set is is completely to scale like and 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 real. And for me, at least, it it, it shows when they when they're filming it. So that's amazing. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I love the volume and I love the Mandalorian. I think um, it's some of the best visually looking, you know, yeah, TV content that's come out in the last few years, but uh, Andor definitely has a nice, uh, different feel to it and, and a good mm-hmm. uh, kind of showcase of how people have. The, the would you say it's just more cinematic? Yes, cinematic yeah. scope is yeah. exactly how I would put it. Yeah. Yeah, because to yeah. me, it, it yeah. felt like I was watching like Rogue One or a, a yep. feature film, like an actual movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, I had the awesome like opportunity recently to go watch uh, Rogue One in the IMAX um, like special release that they did oh, awesome. um, a few weeks ago, and they showed they showed a portion of Episode Three. So that scene with all the uh, in, inside that where um, Luthen and Andor first meet in with the with all the chains and everything. Yeah, that scene mm-hmm. and played Rogue One straight after that and the movie like the sorry the the TV show scene and, and Rogue One like they look visually they look identical like they look like to par so that's, um, that's that, cool that was a good they must have used that as a target then when they were working on mm. it yeah mm. it also it also is just like a, a good way to make that story feel continuous right because I would imagine that this show is really targeting that Rogue One audience when it comes to the grittiness factor um, the uh, kind of spy espionage sort of aspect of rogue one is very much you know a part of this story and even more so and uh you know just the way that it's filmed the way that the shots look like you know i I kind of like you know i get the feeling that rogue one is just kind of being wrapped up in the same bundle and it's like they want to make it feel like it's the same which is really really yeah good you know Um, yeah and it's interesting because um i think greg fraser which was like the he was like the first uh, dp for the for Rogue One and also for some of the episodes in, in Mando season one. I remember he was speaking about early on how they were almost about to start using the volume in Rogue One, but they then chose not to because it wasn't quite ready yet. Obviously, Mando filmed a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was interesting how, they, again, they chose the same kind of system not to rely on it in, in Andor. And that's yeah. what, I guess, the visually how it looks fairly similar. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, yeah, it's a great, great way to make the show kind of feel familiar, which is, um, you know, the w- good way to connect it with Star Wars fans. Um, so Andor, he uses a com to contact B as the authorities. Uh, oh, sorry. Actually, you know, before I get into that, um, Marva finds a young Andor on the crashed ship uh, in the flashback sequence. She references the soldier on the, uh, the, the Cronari kids shot down as a Republic officer. Did you guys catch that? No. <laughs> so, yeah. So 
when when she finds yeah, so Marva and her droid B in the flashback sequence and her um her I don't know business partner or or um husband or whoever he is uh they go kind of uh, uh, salvaging scraps off the ship. You know, there, there's some expensive parts that they're after, but they find young Cassian Andor kind of on the ship, right? Doesn't speak a word of English. And uh, they have a few words of exchange, like in that moment. And she references the soldier that the Canary kids shot down as a Republic officer, which I thought was really weird, despite the separatist uniform that he was wearing. Um, so I'm not really sure what's going on there. It could be a continuity there's error. There's a few weird... Who knows Weird things about that now, actually it's like how did they get on there to scavenge it so fast when it just crashed i that's the thing like i don't really know so there, there's like a whole lot of questions built up around this thing and the fact that she called a separatist crew member a republic officer no idea what's going on there but um yeah uh it's definitely confirming this is all clone wars based in the flashbacks and uh they she- she also says that they need to rescue. They don't take the kid. Then does she not refer to it as the Republic? We'll just, we'll yeah. just shoot. They say all the kids. Yeah. So, so she says that we have to take him. Um, they, they subdue him in efforts to basically save his life uh, from the Republic who has entered the atmosphere. And I assume that they're sending ships down to investigate the crashed separatist ship, which is, all the more reason why it's confusing that she called that dead flight crew member a Republic officer. Um, so Maybe it was supposed to be separatist. Yeah, I think in the script. I think it was just a bad script terminology, maybe for describing the guy. But yeah, it was it just could very also confusing. Be, maybe it's that being someone who's in the the. Uh, like the underworld, mm-hmm. they don't really care, actually really know the difference between the two factions that are, are fighting. They consider both the separatists and the the actual Republic to be this one of the same. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I feel like maybe the some of these questions. Are part of the Republic, right? They just said, yeah. like they're trying to separate. Right. Yeah. So maybe we're seeing really early in Clone Wars, you know, very, very kind of like early on. This is probably right after Battle of Geonosis even maybe like there's a chance that that's a possibility. I, uh, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, I feel like as the episodes go on, we'll kind of get our questions filled in. And when the season's over, we can it- kind of go back to the things that didn't make sense as just, you know, criticism for the next time that they have to do a season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully they don't get that stuff mixed up. But uh, yeah, I, I, is it uh, possible that this is before Geonosis? No, this is definitely after. Haven't- oh, okay. this, is, this is definitely after Geonosis. It's got to be. Because, um, I mean, at least I'm just guessing. Because I know that the Separatists were a thing before, but, you know, the Republic wouldn't have had military ships to shoot down Separatist ships prior to the clone army being revealed to the Jedi, which was at Geonosis. So, um, you know, my, my thoughts are that we did see clones in the trailer. So, like, I think we're going to get kind of pieces and bits through young Cassian Ender's life. And I don't know if it's all going to be a continuous day after day story or if it's going to kind of just mm-hmm. kind of segue us through but um i'm hoping that those questions are answered and you know but yeah there's always a slight slight uh you know possibility that could be in a could have been a script error um and uh, andor uses a con to contact b the authorities that raid his residence in marva's house um they hear the message track his signal to the warehouse where luthan meets him 
and he pushes for information from Andor about how he got the device um, uh, that he's buying. Um, but he's really more curious about Andor and his abilities as how he how he stole it. And I think it's like kind of apparent that he wants him to help him fight the Empire for real. Um, and I really love the conversation. That whole sequence is the same sequence that you're talking about there, Kirk, the one that you guys watched before Rogue One. And, you know, um, yeah, what, what did you guys think about this whole interaction with between Andor and Luthen and, and um, I don't know. Do we have it clipped? Could we play it? Um, it yeah. I, yeah. We, we have it. We have it clipped here and let me, let me just bring it up. Um, all I could think about was uh, how spies were recruited in real w- mm-hmm. wartime, you know, and it just, it just kind of yeah, got like, me thinking like, yeah, like how is that subject kind of breached? Like how, how would you approach someone not knowing if you can trust them or not, but also not really disclosing what you do for a living that would give away mm. what you are, but also kind of yeah. poaching for information the on whether or not you subterfuge. Yeah, like like yeah. poaching for information, like how how can I trust this person or can I trust this person, right? Um, so yeah. like I got major kind of vibes of that, like watching those scenes, and I was like, oh, this is like really cool, uh, really cool stuff. And even yeah, even so, like Luther knew a lot about Andor as well. And Andor yeah. is like, hey, how do you know me? I took everything down off my profile. And yeah, he got <laughs> he got a bit up he got a bit upset. So um yeah, that was it was really uh really interesting. Yeah, it, it was interesting to me that he knows Andor's how he died of his father's uh his father's death. He said um something in regards to yeah, his hung or something. yeah he said his father was hung yeah. in some sort of like town square like uh yeah. which i thought was really curious that he knows that information and that's when he whips out the blaster and he goes like who are you kind of thing and you know he's kind of freaked Andor out a little bit but um, i've got some audio right here from that scene telling you to die rings in the air doesn't it why don't you let me count that money well, they'll think about it soon enough we should get moving Soon enough, I'll have something else to listen to. You don't want to get caught with it. Well, they'd hang me, wouldn't they? Take me up Bricks Road and hang me in the square. Wouldn't be the first time, would it? Isn't that where they hung your father? Who are you? What is this? I said I know you. I know all about you. Yes, I want the box, and I'll leave with that if it's all I can get. I came looking for something more, and I think I found it. Yeah, really, really cool, like, interesting conversation, you know, very cryptic, and uh, I was digging it. I was, it was very, like, I was very invested in the scene. <laughs> yeah. It's very spy, and I hope that's where it goes. I know we talked about that before the release here. Yeah. And I do hope it becomes almost like a, a Jason Bourne-esque series. I think that'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you guys notice that the residents of the town were very responsive when the authorities show up, they're all clanging on metal bits and stuff like shopkeepers are closing down and like, dang, oh like, God, they're like, like a pot. they're preparing for like the raid or whatever, you know what? Um, <laughs> like, uh, it's, I thought it was kind of interesting that, that, that they were all kind of like ready to act on the, you know, the, the corporate it, sector kind of coming in and 
or corporate authority or whatever yeah. they call themselves. Yeah, it was it's just almost like, like wow. their alarm. Like it reminded me of birds. If you have birds, um, maybe not all breeds, but I know there's some that they sense danger. They see like a cat or something. They'll mm-hmm. start squawking. Whichever ones are near the, where the the cat is or the danger, they'll squawk so that everyone else knows where the danger is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was interesting that the town kind of acts as like a unified group of people. Obviously, they all know and work together closely and... Uh, I guess that's what makes the betrayal of Tim all that more devastating yeah. is because like they're all friends. They all kind of know each other. And even that that kind of apparent shakedown that Andor gets in that back alley in the second or first episode by some friends of his who he owes money to. Like it it felt very weirdly friendly um, in a strange way. Um, mm-hmm. And he's kind of surprised that they're trying to intimidate him. Right. For for what he owes. But yeah, and he calls him out on it right away. So. Yeah. Yeah, so it, to me, I just got the idea that, oh, it's a friendly town. Like, and Bix, even when she walks yeah. through the street, she's like nodding at people and, you know. Uh, it's a small town. Yeah. Everyone knows everybody, right? Yeah, small town. So obviously when the authorities come in to investigate one of their own, like they all kind of act on it. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. Andor's friend Brasso, like he kind of chains down their ship and which results in its destruction when the guy like pilots it into um you know the wall of a broken down star destroyer and i was like oh that's that's so neat like just like the whole town kind of just like rebel rebels against their yeah they come together yeah yeah they come together right uh which was pretty neat um and uh marva who's andor's adoptive mother is what the audio description kind of calls her out as um describes it to the officer who's kind of got her at gunpoint in the chair as he just describes it as a reckoning uh, hence the name of the episode. And I was like, oh, that's that's pretty neat. Um, and uh, we see Tim gets shot through the chest by a very uh, trigger-happy uh, guard. <laughs> uh, so that's the end of him. Yeah. Man, uh, I did not get that scene. I was Actually, that, that part probably, it annoyed me. I said it was probably one of the things that I actually took issue with. So I get that he wanted to make amends because he got called out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's the the lady's name? Uh, Bix. Bix. Bix by Bix, right? He got caught by her yeah. as the uh, the rat, and so he Bix is is uh, basically being handcuffed by the by the police officers, and he decides his best bet is after they tell him to to you know stay away is to run straight at them screaming, and they're <laughs> obviously trigger happy. It's like, what did he think was gonna happen? Yeah. <laughs> It, it didn't make sense yeah. to me on any level that he would do that, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to miss that character. Um, I mean, I guess he served his purpose in trying to, like, motivate, you know, the uh, the, off- yeah. the the authorities after, uh, after Cassian. But, yeah, I mean, he's a bit of a rat. So, <laughs> like, yeah. and, I, and I mean, like, I don't mean any offense at all to anyone called Tim, but... It's the most non-Star Wars name yeah. on the show. We've got like we've got like Luke, we've got uh, Andor, we've got like yeah. obviously in Rogue One we have uh, we have Saw Guerrera and then Mon Mothma. Then we've just got Tim. Yeah, it's yeah, like, Tim. Yeah. I think the only he thing that Star Wars name. about it is it's spelled with two M's. It's Tim. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Tim. Hey, Tim. <laughs> like you could argue that for Luke as well. It's just he's one of the first characters we ever met. Yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, true. But 
because Luke has the last name Skywalker, so you're like, oh, okay, see, then it works. But does Tim yeah. have a last name to like try to yeah. Star Warsify him? I'm surprised yeah. Luke isn't spelt like L U C or something like that. You know, just something that's non conventional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know Clone Luke is spelt L U U K E. Oh, of course he is. <laughs> Luke. <laughs> Luke. Right. It was just so you could tell the difference of who you're talking about on the paper, like yeah. the page. Yeah. Um, Cassian and Luthen, uh, they have uh, kind of a mad escape on the speeder. Uh, they get off world on Luthen's ship. Well, really cool design for a ship, by the way. It reminds me a lot of the, what's yeah. it called? The Shadow something or another from Force Unleashed. She's a shadow caster? Yeah. No. Uh, sorry. That's the. The Rogue Shadow. Is it, rogue is it Rogue Shadow? shadow? Yeah. That's yeah. It. Rogue it. Shadow. Yeah. It kind of reminds me. I don't know. Just the way that the cockpit's like designed and the aesthetics of like the ship with the panels yeah. and stuff sliding around. I don't know. It just kind of reminded me a little bit about that ship. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Any poor that whole that whole, es- that whole escape scene with like the ship and that like the decoy ship reminded me of episode five from Kenobi where like Vader tries to grab the, the ship and then the other one flies off. So. That's yeah. quite reminiscent of that where they used the decoy. But yeah, wow. Like I, that was such a tense scene for me and watching like Cyril's reaction where he just almost broke down crying from being happy. He was, like he started smiling first because yeah. he was so relieved. He's like, yes, I did it. I'm a good leader. Yeah. I, this isn't that so bad. And he was happy that we got him. He looked up to his buddy and that was like really like, you know, pa- uh, patriotic. And then when it blew up and he, he's like, oh, and he turns to the camera and he's like borderline in tears and stuff. Yeah. And, you know. His first duped. day in in the in the field, like it was, I think it was yeah, like such a, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he said nothing. He said like no words at all, and I thought it was just great. I guess filmmaking because uh, yeah, no words at all, and he just so expressive in his face. And mm-hmm. uh, oh, there's gonna man. be, yeah, it's gonna be really interesting where that character goes, um, especially when he has to report back to his boss. That yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure, and he's now, in deep trouble. Yeah. How many of their guys died? Like. Oh, well, that's oh, the thing, so right? Like, a, a large group. It started as an investigation for the murder of two guards that were causing trouble. And then he takes like a fully innocent group of people and like half of them are gone at this point. So, yeah, you know, I feel like over six of them died at least. So, yeah, it, it was definitely a bit of a loss. I hope I hope he doesn't turn to the rebellion like he doesn't do a uh part of me thinks that's what's gonna happen yeah i like what's that um uh what's the squadron called in battlefront 2 the the new ba- uh, battlefront 2 the oh the, yeah the squad uh yeah inferno squad inferno squad that's right yeah. yeah how they turn to the um well at least most of them apart from husk i think his name was yeah yeah i hope he i hope he remains a bit salty and on you know. I I'll, I'll go one step further and say and suggest that his kind of his uh his motive to just pursue uh justice yeah in in the way that he does and just kind of like has a very I don't know a very brash kind of personality like bossing around all his like you know what do you call yeah. those subordinates no patience yeah he's got no patience and stuff I, I like i'm gonna suggest that maybe at some point he'll kind of join the empire because he's just kind of one of those people that looks mm. and feels like he could be an imperial well, officer they, well, the thing is he botched it right so because he's screwed up i feel like he won't be able to yeah i don't know i don't know that's the thing right and there, I, I do know that season two they have said that it's going to be a time jump 
So maybe what we're going to see is more of like story from him where maybe he gets fired or something, you know, he doesn't know what to do with his life goes and signs up with the, with the Imperial military, but he kind of always has like a thing for Andor and decides that he's going to spend his like whole career kind of going after the guy or whatever, who, who mm -hmm. ruined his life by, you know, getting him, holding him responsible essentially for, for the failure that he had on, on leading that, uh, pursuit of justice sort of thing. But, um, I guess we'll, we'll find out, but that's just kind of my, my estimate. I'm just going to take a guess at that. But, um, yeah, I think he's a really interesting character and I feel like we're going to see a lot more of him over the next, uh, over the next 12 episodes, which, which means there's a lot more, there's a lot more stuff, you know, going to happen. Yeah. Well, um, that being said, I guess we'll, we'll wrap things up here. And you guys have any last minute things to bring up? Well, I hope we see Krennic. That's about it. <laughs> oh, that'd be neat. We brought in some Death Star stuff. That would be cool. That would be cool. I just really want a lot of espionage. I think that'd be super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping we get some uh, some good information. I can't wait until we see Mon Mothma, you know, and Saw Gerrera. I'm really, uh, really excited to see what kind of part they play in this show because, like, we do know that they both have appearances in the show. Mm. Um, so I'm excited how they cross paths with Andor and how this is all kind of going to make sense in the end. Uh, also, very looking for, very much looking forward to the clone troopers uh, scenes, like those yeah. flashbacks and Clone Wars. That's going to be really cool as well. So, I hope uh, that's a big scene, not just a blink and you miss it cameo. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I really hope that. I, I was kind of hoping that they would like linger, like a whole episode, just like let's see the backstory of this like youthful character and whatever. But yeah, I don't know. But it's gonna be a flashback, right? Yeah, it it's be. flashback. So yeah. I don't know. It's. Uh, like you said, it's the second show to do it. Hopefully they don't get into the habit of doing that because, you know, Star Wars is already very jumping around all over the place anyway. So it's like, it's nice just to sit down and watch a story that's like, yeah, this takes place then. Yeah, anyways. Uh, Kirk, thanks so much for joining us, man. It was great to have you on again. And uh, Blake, we will uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for Thank having you. me, man. We'll see you out there. Keep flying. All right, and to uh, our lovely audience, thank you for sticking with us today, reviewing the first three episodes of Andor. We'll be back every week to chat about the new episodes coming out on Disney+. Plus. There's a whole schedule released on, uh, on the Twitter on the official Star Wars news sites. Of course, you want to join the Discord. You're not going to miss a thing there. Definitely go check out the Orbit Key site. Uh, URL is www.orbitkey.com slash collections slash star dash wars. You can get all of the Star Wars products on there. Uh, I believe I got that all right, but uh, definitely check out those desk mats. And uh, we're going to see you all in the next one. May the force be with you.